So we have an hour left together, and we'll spend it in contemplation together, discussion. Sometimes we can uh, get the perception that Buddhism or meditation or mindfulness, this path, is about non-action, being quiet. Because we have these forms, silent meditation, quiet meditation centers that uh, are a support, the idea being a gift where we don't have to think about our duties and responsibilities for a certain amount of time, although we will. (laughs) But it's really sort of this bigger intervention, like there's something really important here, and don't do anything else but try to get some grounding in what that is. So it starts with this uh, intuition. For a lot of people, I think it's some sense of dukkha, some sense of things being off, whether in a very obvious way in our lives or just in a subtle way, like, yeah, just slightly off, slightly unsatisfying, And we have some intuition that this practice of steadying the mind, finding some supportive ground, some sense of safety, sense of contentedness where the mind can gather, some sense of community that holds us. We can just kind of put things down to some extent and the mind feels somewhat more composed and balanced. And then there's more clarity. We may see things about our mind, our heart, our life in that, uh, with that mind that's more stable So it's really, the path is really a wisdom path. 
you could say, or you could say it's a transformation of the heart. So it's not about um, yeah, it's not about our lives necessarily being different, although we may we are always taking action. That's just part of being alive, and hopefully with more clarity we'll have better skill at navigating and setting good things in motion in our lives. But there's something really um, interesting for me about these subtler teachings on this transformation of view, this transformation of what the heart takes this all to be in the first place. Like... uh, Yeah, it's not even just about um, purifying our our actions, living more in harmony, as essential as that is. And I think really, yeah, really all parts of the path are connected, but really um, valuing that whole breadth of our relationships, our actions, what we're setting in motion on a very mundane level, that that's what we sit with when we get quiet, is all that, those reverberations. And so we we see, and, and these two kind of really support each other, the meditation practice and the daily life practice, because we see... <laughs> When we sit, oh, we feel, oh, yeah, I did that. And uh, it encourages us. We just become more sensitive. We see that it, uh, what we set in motion has effects in our heart. And... Um, And it's not coming from a judgmental place. It's coming from our own best interest. Yeah. We just feel that sense, you know, if we did something that was off in some way, caused harm. I like to think and I like to remind myself that that pain, the pain of remorse, you could say, is beautiful, it's a wonderful thing, because it's what keeps us from doing it again. And so I like to think of it that way, that I don't need to add the extra pain of you know, beating myself up. The pain's already there when I'm sensitive. And that, that's enough, just to feel it. It, it. It's its own natural, has its own natural feedback mechanism built in. And so the more we deepen sensitivity, more than we are just naturally, because we're more sensitive, 
is naturally more attuned and to the different intentions that arise in the heart and can kind of take that maybe extra moment to really feel instead of rushing through, oh, I'm about to send that email. I like how Gmail has the undo thing now because sometimes he just, I'm just rushing and, and I like to be able to snag a few back and just think about it for another second or feel it really for another second because all these things matter. And they, they were creating our internal and external uh, landscape. And again, uh, this whole realm around um, ethical behavior, integrity, uh, just relationships, our relationship to the world, our relationship to ourselves, to other people, to the planet. I think we can sometimes feel heavy, like, never going to be perfect or, you know, what's this moralizing, just going to be free, be who I am. So it's good to, I think, see it in the context of uh, how the Buddha talked about it, as I understand it, is really his teachings on how to be happy, which I love, (laughs) like, Everyone wants to be happy. I was thinking, you know, magazines, you know, just on the front it has like 10 tips to lead a happier, less stressful life. But you have to buy the magazine to read them. Like it's this, you know, this wisdom that's secret or, you know, because everyone's trying to be happy and very few people when we look around really seem to be in a deeply way, happy, content, at ease. So I love that, in my understanding, the Buddha had a very simple and uh, intuitive, natural answer, but really like pragmatic and really like not not holding back. Like it's no secret. Like it's not. If you want to be happy. Notice intentions of generosity, the heart being willing to step forward, make that little extra effort, whatever it is that you don't have to do, but you're noticing that you, like, you could hold back or you could give. And there may even be like some pain there the pain of um, giving something away that you could use, who knows, you might need it. But just that, it's that it's the dropping of stinginess, actually. It's the dropping of, in a moment, of self-centered concern, self-centered fear, and that connection with someone else, even with ourselves at times. And just that that willingness to put something forward to ask, well, how are you? And actually mean it. Actually have 
you know, be, being there to receive whatever without any expectations or. So this is very simple. This is very ordinary. This is, this is our, one of our human beautiful, um, qualities that is available, this source of happiness. And it's interesting, I was thinking about, with generosity, there's always has to be a sense that we have something to give. But it doesn't have to be anything grand. It doesn't have to be money, you know, which is often, and we can often think of that when we hear that term, generosity. So it's interesting because that in itself is a shift of view. Oh, I have something to offer, a smile, or putting down this worry for a minute so I can just be here, or, yeah, time, kind word, whatever it is, or something more subtle, internal generosity, like the generosity to give ourselves a whole day. You can't give yourself a whole day to do nothing. What are you thinking? You have this to-do list. People are counting on you. All these things to do. Where's that coming from, that voice? Is that a generous voice? So we start to tune into it. And again, it's not about the externals, what it looks like on the outside. You know, on the outside, this could seem like a very self-centered thing to do, to go on a meditation retreat. So only we know, and we learn to tune into that, that feeling, that willingness to show up, generous willingness to show up. It's so interesting how this can show up even in uh, subtle ways in our, just in our, our own intentions in our meditation practice. We can have that reflection. What would that reflection on generosity, this generous heart, this willingness to show up, to share, to include? What does that look like? when I'm sitting, well, giving myself fully, right? No one's watching in our minds. We can do whatever we want when we're meditating. (laughs) No one can see in there. But it's, uh, so it's something we do for ourselves and that we, we learn to appreciate in and of itself that quality and how it shows up in all the different little ways and the happiness of it, happiness of generosity of a generous heart. And I think it's I think there's deep wisdom in it. I think this quote from Ajahn Suchito sort of brings in part of the wisdom that informs generosity. 
So this is a definition he gives for generosity or sharing or dana, the Pali word. Recognizing the joy of sharing and acknowledging that we all come into the world subject to pain, sorrow, sickness, and death, I aspire to offer what I can in terms of resources, hospitality, healing, and wise advice. Yeah, I think that piece around just our shared vulnerability seems to be um, connected. We can't hold on to anything. We're vulnerable. Anything that I get is pleasant that I want, is pleasant for some time, then it changes, then maybe I'm frustrated or need to go get something else. <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier, just enumerating the even the stress of when things are going well. well. Yeah, it's nice. It's going well. I really appreciate it. You know, in my relationships or career or whatever. And it's a lot of work. Like it takes a lot of work to keep this going. And so from a I think this is part of seeing the limitations of that whole view. Getting things And so part of that shift is seeing those limitations and seeing that it's, um, yeah, there's a, there's inherent vulnerability always in that, even when things are going well, because they can change. But generosity is always available. Yeah, sometimes I think about this in terms of, um, like climate change or just, yeah, just when things seem bleak, like even if things were or are totally falling apart and there's just suffering everywhere and it's just greed and people acting out of anger and fear, well, I would still want to show up and offer what I can. So it's really pragmatic. It's really seeing uh, this is a happiness that isn't subject to worldly success or failure. It's really this, this shifting uh, refuge. And we And this is something that's not about me saying it or anyone saying it, or you should be generous. Okay, I'm going to go be generous. <laughs> where, how do I be generous? This is something where, where actually I think the best way to approach it is just to be interested in it as a question. Well, what does that even mean for me? A generous heart or, and you know, even that word I think isn't, wouldn't be my favorite word. I'm not sure there's a better one. But um, we don't have to tell anyone. But we're just being interested in it and noticing, noticing those moments and not being ashamed of them. Like the Buddha would say, 
would encourage us to recollect, recollect our good actions because it makes us happy. Not, oh, I'm so great, but it's just, it's not even, it's not about me. It's just being kind of what we spoke about a bit, being in the vicinity. We want to hang around good people. We want to, so we can hang around ourselves and appreciate in this very ordinary, not ostentatious, you know, it's not about being someone different. It will look different for all of us based on our personalities, but just even non-ill will, non-stinginess, often things can be phrased in this way, in a negative way. Just to be here and not, not wish harm. I may not know what to do that would be useful, but if there were something to do, I'd do it because I don't hate you. <laughs> it can be that, and that can be the lowest bar. And even that, I mean, it's even just including other people in our, in our field. You know, like, I think there's a lot of ignoring that can be really harmful, even when it's not outright hostility, but just non-consideration. And again, it doesn't have to be overt, you know, because then we, we might be ignoring ourselves. So it's just this, this willingness to be sensitive in this field that does have other people in it, other sensitive people. And then we might just notice, just hanging out in that, in that way, in that sensitive way, you know, not looking for an opportunity to be someone or, but just, just hanging out, giving our, you know, giving, we start giving ourselves this gift of presence. So I'm just gonna, I'm on the train, for example, and well, it feels better than to maybe distract myself in this moment to just be here and just settle, settle in, because it feels good. And then we notice we can't really do that without, you know, including just the sense of others. And then we might notice someone just walks into our field and whatever, says hi. And then, and then we feel that. And there might be just a little more openness because we've been cultivating that intention. And again, it's not about it has to look this way or that way or that we you know, that we disregard boundaries or what's appropriate or, you know, our wisdom. It's just, it's really this internal freeing, like where we can walk in the world and we can feel more safe, we can feel more at ease because our heart has less aversion, has less stinginess, has more openness. Yeah, it can feel good that... I'm not trying to cause harm. I'm doing my best to, you know, within my my reach as an imperfect being, but I'm trying to show up in a real way. And that, you know, that very modest but very real, you could even say healthy self-esteem or integrity, that's real, and that's really, I think... I mean, I've just been appreciating more and more. I feel like such a beginner. These are the, the really kindergarten 
teachings, it's not hard to understand, but, you know, like, what does that actually do for you? What kind of strength does that actually give you? What does that replace in terms of other self-views that aren't useful? And just that that whole thing is malleable, that whole self-view. And if it were malleable, and we do have these beautiful intentions, at least, if not, we don't always notice their expressions, but these beautiful intentions, oh yeah, kindness, yeah, I felt kindness from other people, felt felt seen from other people, and that, that felt good. I appreciate that, and felt accepted, not pushed by other people, just held in acceptance. So we, we appreciate these qualities, and uh, we just keep appreciating them. We keep seeing them, keep noticing them. We appreciate them when they arise here in this being, and we don't hold back. It may even feel weird, and it may, you know, well, being kind or extending a kind word, like that's so, <laughs> I don't know, that's not cool, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But we, we don't hold back. We practice fearlessness in those moments where we notice beautiful intentions. And then, you know, we learn because we're, we're always, this is always learning. And generally the rule is if you err too much on one side, then try the other side. If you, you know, yeah, don't usually act on wholesome intentions like, oh, they won't. They don't really care. I don't need to say that. Or we just practice just doing it, not because we know, but because there's that intention. And then we show up. We keep. We keep. We're still there, and we see how it lands. Oh, and maybe we learn. We just keep um, modifying, getting interested in what is that, and is it leading to happiness? This we can do. Sometimes the practice can feel daunting. and I mean, even just being on a day-long retreat, I'm sure a lot of us maybe feel somewhat pushed around just by the habits in our mind. And it's like, yeah, it's, there's a lot of momentum. This is karma. Like, there's a lot in motion that we're not in control of. We didn't choose to be born with this set of, dispositions and things there's a lot moving already so that, so it's nice to be able to work on this um, array from you know really being interested in the view in the mind and moment to moment uh, more subtle practices and more obvious Oh, I did that for half an hour. How do I feel now? And there's a lot of like, I think we need a lot of humility here and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of being okay with not knowing because it's not like clear, like you just do this and then you're good. 
because it's really the whole process is a process of sensitizing on these different frequencies of more obvious to more subtle. Um, so we just keep checking in. Oh, how does that feel? This intention in the mind to want to get even or this activity that I thought was good. And when I started it an hour ago, yeah, should get this done. Seems like a good intention. But now I'm in the middle of it and it doesn't feel so good. I feel like I'm pushing. So I think we need a lot of humility to admit, at least I do, how little I really know about how to be happy. And then with that humility, then we're, then we show up. And there's that freshness. Willing to listen, to be in relationship, to trust our own experience, not any social standard, what it looks like on the outside, even if other people like us or think we're, but like, how is the heart? Is it at ease? Can it really settle into this, into this experience? And if not, how do we hold that? How do we listen to that, learn from what it's saying, and respond out of compassion? Yeah, I'm going to make a change, not out of judgment, but because we care. We want to set our own liberation from suffering and others, liberation from our imposing (laughs) our suffering. And so this is the whole realm of being a human, a sensitive social creature, impacted, always sensitive, always uncertain, even with the people we love and trust. It's like rare that we meet a Buddha where we're like, yeah, I'm just going to follow you for the rest of my life. (laughs) For most people, it's like, yeah, yeah, I can really appreciate you, appreciate your good qualities. And uh, we have a relationship. And I'm still kind of maybe on alert a little bit because I don't know. But this is where we are. And so how do we use that, that, that imperfection, to develop what's really reliable, which is this momentum and the, the track it's on? You know, where, where is it going? In our own hearts. That that's reliable. Sometimes I think at the end of a, a retreat, I think it's Steve Armstrong would say, like at the end of one day of retreat, and we can all do this reflection now, having done a day of retreat, whatever goodness has been set in motion, and surely there has been for all of us, just the willingness to keep showing up as best we can, that uh, that impact, that input into the stream is permanent as far as anything is permanent like that has an an effect on every moment going forward we'll have the moments today where we saw something a little more clearly or where we put something down or where we touched into a peace or an ease we didn't we hadn't experienced before now we now we're the person who knows that who's had that and it changes us forever. So not to uh, 
diminish this very gradual, moment-by-moment work. I think I'll leave my comments there, see if Shelly has anything to add. Feels like a complete offering. But I'd be happy to receive your questions or reflections, either what you've heard or been contemplating as you've listened or anything related to practice. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm curious about, a concept of habit energy. I feel like it's very easy to kind of get into the same routines. I think um, a lot of animals are hab- are just creatures of habit, right? We've heard it, heard the saying. I think there might be some truth to that. But how about within like your own experiences? How do you, in day to day life, you know, prevent yourself from going into that? habit thinking, habit energy, and, and, and kind of get presence? That's a really good question. I mean, so much of what we're doing is waking up to our habits, habit energies, right? So it's, it's not for me so much of um, trying to prevent that from happening. Those habit energies have their own, are their own force, and they will extinguish when the time is right. So my practice is about noticing them as often as I can. Um, so, f- for example, so there's a finite number of habit energies, right, in all the flavors of greed, ill will, confusion, delusion, right? In those three categories, there's their own flavor in each of us. So our habit energies are some, in some ways acting out one of those three uh, forces in our lives. Um, and so the way to... So accepting that there's going to be some... some there's Some of that is going to be there for a while. <laughs> Right? There's not going to be, I'm not, I don't aspire to knocking greed out of the park. Right? But what I can do is notice any flavor, all the flavors of this force in my mind, my heart and mind, and its impact. Because when that impact is really felt, it really doesn't make sense for, to act it out. Because it really hurts. Right? It's like for me, that moment of anxiety that I was talking about earlier, that really hurts. So like, oh, yeah, this avoiding the truth doesn't make a lot of sense. Right? Like it wouldn't have made any sense some years ago for me to be sitting up here talking. It's just not in my personality. And yet, here I am, I think only because this heart and your heart and our hearts can learn how to uh, not be kind of taken down by these forces. They can be there, and we can still keep moving. 
And once we notice and feel that pain, it's like the heart responds in good ways. Like, oh, with that love. And love is a much stronger force than anger or anything else. So the capacity for the heart to be good, to care, to love, to be kind is always going to be more, way more reliable and more accessible than we actually think. Yeah. So every moment of noticing, Syed Otejaniya likes to say that noticing wrong view is right view. Right? You don't have to have a purity of love in the heart. I mean, you don't have to have, it doesn't have to be exclusive, right, to be a force of good. So there could be a strength of aversion that love meets, and that's good, right? So that love that can say yes to, oh, this heart is anxious and it feels like this, and sweetie, it's okay to keep going, is really good, right? So I don't aspire to to, you know, pretend as if these aren't forces in my life. I really want to notice them. And that's what I know. I know that I really want to notice so that I, I'm not a victim to them. I want to have some say. Yeah. Yeah, I think you already said this, but I think it's uh, it's really humbling to when we see the force of habits, and uh, basically we'll just act out habits in lieu of any other wisdom or direction. So this is where yeah we we need some of that kind of stronger energy sometimes. Like to show up to come here isn't doing nothing. Like you could say meditation is doing nothing, but to show up and come here like that took some resolution. Um, which is one of the beautiful qualities, the parami's resolution. You know, so basically, in my understanding, it's just uh, setting new habits. And uh, yeah, like Shelly was saying, like what feeds that? So appreciating the wholesomeness of it, the beauty of it, strengthens those, and noticing the un- the unhelpfulness of other habits weakens those. So it's it's mindfulness that that kind of naturally will change habits, but we do need to make some effort. Like we all did. Good job. Mm-hmm. So we have time for yeah. Over here. Hi Megan. Um I was just reflecting on like the power of kindness in everyday life. Um I recently switched to working at a different hospital and the work environment is so different in a really good way. Um, and it's just amazing how like that cycle of giving and receiving of like receiving that kindness makes you just want to pass it on, you know, like without even trying, I was just thinking, so sometimes I'm on call and I like, I get calls and I try to manage it myself but sometimes I have to call my staff to wake them up at like three in the morning and it's very intimidating to do that um but the first time I did that (laughs) the following day I ended up staying like most of the rest of the night um the following day that 
person um, like sent me a message and was like, hey, how are you doing? You know, you must not have slept much. Like, I hope you had some time to take a break today. And it was just like very unexpected and out of the blue. And it, it made me like, I don't know, feel so uh, like kind of seen or just like recognizing like the efforts that we put in. And another time I woke one of them up at four and they were like, Hey, thanks for the page. (laughs) And I was just like, just kind of like floored by that kindness. Um, and as the person who's kind of in between the residents and the staff, like just thinking like, wow, like their kindness makes me inspired to like offer that to the residents and the students. And, and it's just like this, this like effort it's almost like this effortless like cycle of just like wanting to pass that on which feels really good um so thinking about kindness like in daily life and the power of that well stated it's one of the things i have grown to appreciate more and more is that the depths of these teachings are really uh, beyond my imagination and doing retreat practice is only one way to tap into that, to tap into the understanding of any of the teachings, generosity, impermanence, kindness, you know, the list goes on. And so really to value all of these moments in our daily lives, there's, I mean, if you think about the amount of time you spend in retreat, or on the cushion compared to the amount of time you spend off retreat or off the cushion, where do you have greater opportunity to learn? Just spend way more time not on retreat or not on the cushion, right? So like using, really setting this intention to be awake in our lives. Like, oh, what can I learn here? What can I learn here? How can I tap into the depths of these teachings in the midst of my regular, ordinary life. People, friends, family, commitments, responsibilities, work. Yeah. I've been uh, really amazed at the impact of daily life practice in recent years. Thanks, Megan. Something from uh, earlier in the day, you mentioned having like a small animal come to you and give you comfort. I used to have a pug, and I imagined that immediately. And I just want to say you're confirming my wants to get a tattoo of the pug (laughs) (laughs) because it's just such a good um, image for me Mm -hmm. to just soften my heart. So I just want to thank you for that. You're welcome. I don't think I said get the tattoo, but (laughs) if it works. Yeah, I've used my dog for more than a decade. <laughs> Should we? Are we complete? Looks like it. All right, so we'll transition into our closing now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.